0: terms and conditions apply
1: it's the son of a butch podcast happy new year first pod of the new year Hope everybody had a good uh holiday season starting off this year this week's guest lilia vu i mean what an amazing year she had on the lpga tour rolex player of the year four wins wins two majors the chevron uh, the Open Championship, and just gets to number one in the world. And this is one of the more dominant and impressive seasons that anyone has had on any tour anywhere. I mean, if this is I mean, if this is one of the guys on the PJ, I mean, if Roy McIlroy wins four times in a year and wins two majors, Scotty Scheffler wins four times, two majors, I mean, it is front-page news. And um, if I'm honest... I think a lot of the golf media really didn't pick up on, you know, how great Lily's year was. Maybe it's because all of the other stuff that was going on, you know, with the PGA Tour and Liv and who was going and stuff. But um, I got to sit down and talk to her uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, just really, really impressed with how she played this year and 2024. I mean, I think the sky's the limit. I mean, the hardest majors to win. I mean, the hardest major to win is Brooks Kepka always says is your first one. She's won two in one year. I've got to think she's going to get in the hunt. Um, in majors in 2024 and having won two already. um, It's a little bit like playing with house money and and, and she can free it up. So really, really cool interview. Glad I got to sit down and talk to her. Um, I think everyone's going to like to hear what she has said. I think she's got an interesting journey. I mean, things didn't come easy for her. um, And she talks about that. And I think that's part of the struggle is why she is having so much success now. So sit back and enjoy listening to Lilia Booth. lilia, um twenty twenty three I think if Roy McElroy or Scotty Scheffler had the kind of year you've had in twenty twenty three winning four times, winning two majors, I mean, they'd be erecting statues, and they'd they'd be Time magazine's people of the year. it It's been an amazing year. Can Have you had a chance to process everything that's happened over the last twelve months? because it, this has got I mean, this is one of the best years we've seen in professional golf. In a lot really since the tiger days
2: yeah thank you for saying that <laughs> um i've not had a lot of time to kind of reflect on the season i've had um i think just being go 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 all the time and just playing one tournament at a time i think i'm very just what's in front of me i think that's how i tend to do so well occasionally um but yeah i just take it one shot at a time just playing the golf course in front of me, playing that hole even. just. I was telling a pro and partner today, she's a D1 golfer. She's basically asking me for advice about not getting too far ahead of yourself, like thinking about the next hole. I also have that problem as well. And so I think once I got to college, I learned how to just kind of narrow it down. Narrow it down. Basically, there's 18 matches between you and the golf course. So 18 holes each hole's a match i'm gonna try and birdie this hole if i don't move on try again the next hole and just very just simple stuff like that really helps me so i don't think about other players playing in my group just me in this hole how do i beat the hole
1: i think it's interesting because obviously you make the jump from junior golf to college golf from college golf to the symmetra tour symmetra to the p the lpga tour and i think the stage gets bigger the stakes maybe get bigger but you're right. At the end of the day, it's 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 just golf, right? Yeah. It's just, regardless of where you're playing, whether you're playing a junior golf tournament or you're playing on the LPGA, the course might be longer. Yeah. There might be more people out, but the object of the game is still the same. The rules of the game are still the same. And the goal of the game is still the same. What do you notice now? You're a two-time major champion. Um, You're a proven winner on the LPGA but you're still very early in your career and it's not too long ago, you know, two, three years ago to where your status is kind of up in the air. What have you noticed is the difference between amateur junior golf, college golf, Symmetra and the LPGA. What is the difference? Cause I think everybody that's trying to play is trying to crack the code, right? What can they do at that next to get to that next level? What do you think it is?
2: There's, a lot that goes into it, a big difference for me. I felt like I really grew as a person in the past couple years. Um, just like amateur golf, you, junior golf, you have like your parents booking your flights, doing all your tournament stuff. College, same thing. I had a great college experience. I wouldn't be here without UCLA. Coach and Alicia did everything for us. I just had fun all the time. And then thought I was ready for the tour when I was a 2019 rookie, was not. Made one cut, miss the rest of all the tournaments, and just didn't have it. I felt so much pressure out there, even though I had achieved my dream of being on the LPGA. But it just didn't feel that way. It felt like every single shot was life or death. Put too much pressure on making money and trying to just come out of the gate really hot. But it just didn't happen that way. And I, I
1: was saying, I, I had Joe Scarborough on my podcast recently, um, who caddied for Ricky forever and now caddies for Tom Kim, but we were talking about Tom as a rookie and it's it's a theme that that, that I see because I've been on tour, you know, working on tour for 20 years. You can, as a rookie, I think you can get lost. You can kind of, all of a sudden, the manufacturers are there. You can change your equipment every single week. Yeah. You can try new, you're putting bad, though there's 50 different putters you can try. You're driving it bad. You can try different driver's shafts. Yeah. You can change coaches, caddies, all of that. And I keep saying this, no one tells you how to be a professional athlete, professional golfer, and be a professional in the sport. They yeah. just throw you out there. If you're talented enough, you get on tour. There's no training. Okay, some of the tours do some media training and some kind of, but it's, it's not real. And no one can really prepare you for what it's like to be a professional athlete.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. There's really no perfect formula for that. You kind of have to figure that out for yourself. So 2019 was a hard year for me, lost my card, went back to the Epson tour for two years and just kind of had to find my way back. I had to find, just kind of re emulate what I had in college, just constantly having fun, having a good team around me to handle all that stuff. So naturally I was going to figure out how to create my own team on tour. And slowly I did that and then started uh, finalizing the final pieces into the team. And then now we're here.
1: I think that is one thing that I've noticed that when you're in when when players are in college there is an enormous amount of structure and a lot of times I'll work with college golfers when they're home the coach makes them practice they don't like when they practice they don't like when what you know there's a lot of things that they don't like right but that is all there and made for them once you turn pro you have to find a course to play at you have to find a plac- place to practice you got to find a gym you've got to plan your schedule whereas college and like you said junior golf all of that is basically done for you yeah and i have seen a lot of players kind of struggle for a couple years that post college because they don't find their way they don't find the right setup why do you think it took you a couple of years to find that
2: i think it's just maturity growing and knowing what i like i like being told when to practice when to work out And now I have people on my team that kind of just overall just look at my schedule and figure out what we're doing during the off weeks and all that stuff. I think it just makes my life easier that we have a routine and everybody has their certain tasks to make my life easier so that I can go out there and do what I do best.
1: You mentioned going to UCLA. You're a first-team All-American. You won eight times. Do you feel that there's a difference in winning in college versus now winning majors and winning big tournaments on the LPGA do you did you notice a difference
2: big difference I think in college I was just having fun and then I happened to win out here it it's a grind like you really have to not think too far ahead my first win this year and um yeah I shot eight under on the last day and I didn't even know what I was shooting I didn't look at any scoreboard You're not
1: a scoreboard watcher
2: I used to not be but and then I one day I decided like, I can look at it. I'm not going to let, gonna me, let me tell
1: you, Yeah. you you, you start winning two majors, look at the scoreboard.
2: <laughs> it's a it's okay.
1: I just You want to look at scoreboards when you are in the hunt yeah. to win major championships. I get the hey, I'm just going to play today. Yeah. Uh, but if you're on the back nine on Sunday and you're in one of the last I, two groups, look at the scoreboard.
2: Yeah. I definitely looked at the <laughs> open on 16. That's when I finally... I knew I was there. I just didn't know how much I mean,
1: leeway I, mean, you I had. One by six and shot... What, <laughs> you shoot, 66?
2: I have no idea. Yeah,
1: but, no, no, and again, no idea. that's amazing. You have no idea what you shot <laughs> in your it. second major this year yeah. on Sunday.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I think I just made a switch one day and I said, I'm not going to let the scoreboard control me with the fear that I have for it. So I'm like, I'm just going to look.
1: What was that Open Championship like? I mean, you start... Um, that Sunday, you're playing with Charlie Hole. I mean, obviously Charlie being from the UK, huge fan favorite. Um, you're kind of the underdog. You're kind of the the person that they're not rooting for, and you basically just light it up, shoot a great round, win by a ton. But that experience to where you're on the golf course on Sunday, trying to win. Were you was it something that you were conscious of, Lily, that you're in your head going, okay, I've got a chance to win another major this year. <laughs>
2: I didn't think about it that way but i knew that i was really excited to play in the final group with charlie with the crowd she had i knew on saturday she played behind me and i heard all the roaring and the cheers and i turned to my caddy Cole and i said i want to play with her tomorrow i think it would be so fun like the crowd that she has going on we don't see that a lot she pulled a really big crowd in london she's from there so it was really cool to see she's super fun to play with so i got my wish i wanted to play with her and person on my team told me don't be nervous that they're rooting for Charlie they're not rooting against you they're good fans too and I think that kind of flipped my mindset and I was super excited to play Sunday super nervous but I don't know I just stuck to it I didn't try to pay attention too much to what she was doing on the course I was just trying to do my thing make as many birdies as possible even though in major tough conditions and so I mean it was tough to not look at her eagle bunker shot on one of the holes that was was crazy it was so good i got goosebumps and then i just kept doing my thing just trying to play one shot at a time
1: i was listening to a podcast the other day and someone was saying that it's okay to take things professional don't take them personal i was like if you're going to be a professional if you're going to work in any sort of professional environment things are going to happen to you that in your personal life you you could take personally. Mm-hmm. But in the profession that you want to be in, it's not personal. It's just part of being a professional. So you know that going to the UK, you're trying to win a major, but someone in that group that you're playing with is from the UK. It's not a personal thing against you. It's professional. They're going to root for her because yeah. she is kind of the, the hometown favorite.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. And I was really excited for her and like, us. I always get excited when I go to either Scotland or England. I feel like they have true golf fans and they know what a good shot is. So I was just over the moon to be there, honestly.
0: Terms and conditions apply.
1: When did it sink in that you were a two-time major champion? Because <laughs> t- I mean, here's the thing: Justin Thomas has won two majors. John Rahm has won two majors. You have won two majors. It's 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 hard to think of yourself in that vein, but the majors, both on the men's side and the women's side, that is that is the benchmark. That is where careers are validated, right? Brooks. Captain, who I work with, Brooks has always held, he's always thought, if you win a major, you are a great player. If you haven't won a major, no matter how many tournaments you've won, his mindset is always like, to me, it's always been about the greatest players in golf, both on the men's and the women's side, are the ones that win majors. Now that you're a two-time major champion, has it sunk in that what you've actually done? Because... It is an enormous accomplishment, and it's an enormous accomplishment, Lilia, in one year. I mean, we don't see that, right? Yeah. We don't see, uh, Brooks has done it, um, Tiger's done it, but there are some great players that have never come close to winning two majors in a year. Yeah, thank you for you saying in that. You are a rarefied, rarefied player air i mean there are not a lot of people at this kind of height on the mountain that you're on and i think sometimes when you're doing it you don't realize it right it doesn't come across that way but you are in a category now of people that are all-time legends that have the same amount of major championships both on the men's and the women's side that you do thank
2: you for saying that i didn't really realize it until you mentioned it i haven't thought about that i'm a two-time major champion because i think if you look at the majors in between, we got KPMG US Open and Evian. I didn't do so great. I was kind of struggling. You missed the cut
1: at the US Open yeah. and went on a cut streak kind of in that US Open time where you'd missed four cuts in a row after winning a yeah. major. Again, that is an anomaly as well. Normally, you win a major and you go, okay, play yeah. with house money now. Yeah. I'm just going to light it up.
2: Yeah, it didn't feel that way for me. I felt Did You feel a, pressure? Felt a lot of pressure and kind of just had a internal battle with myself just putting myself too high of a standard and i was kind of being a perfectionist getting really upset not pulling off every single shot i hit on the golf course and that was really tough for me and then someone on my team on wednesday of the open just said all we need to do is get in contention by this weekend and we'd be a good spot to win and that's what we did we just took it day by day tried to hit the best shot from wherever we ended up and then just went from there
1: I've had Adam Scott on my podcast. Um, Scott, he's a good friend of mine. I've worked with him. But I remember in 2001, Adam was, he was rookie. He was still playing on the European Tour, but because of his world ranking, he was able to come across. He'd won one big tournament. I think he'd won a tournament in South Africa. Nothing really, really crazy. And that is kind of oh one the height of Tiger Mania, right? When Tiger is at like full, full Tiger, Tiger, Tiger. Yeah. He played a practice round in Atlanta. And I'll never forget this. He said, Tiger said to, to Scotty, hey, I've been watching you play. Yeah. And and Adam's like, he's watching me play tournaments <laughs> on TV. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But he said, you just have to learn how to hang around more. And he said, and and Adam was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you you're leading or one behind after Friday. You shoot 66, 68. You're in one of the last groups, and on lately on Saturday, you've been shooting 72, 73. And then on Sunday, the only way you can win the golf tournament is to go out and shoot 63. You So that's a tough ask. And he said, if you can find a way just to hang around and be one of those players on Sunday, there's probably going to be, you know, five to eight of them on the back nine. You kind of look at the leaderboard. He said, if you can just put yourself in position every week, you're going to have weeks where you play great and lose and you don't really play that great win and somebody else messes it up. Yeah. And i always remember this. Tiger Woods at the height of his kind of power said to Adam Scott, he said, can I be honest with you? He said, you, you know what's the most fun for me? When I've got a one-shot lead and I shoot one under and I let everybody else mess it up because they feel the <laughs> pressure. He said, I take care of the par fives <laughs> and I just go out and I just say, hey, I've done this before. I've been in this situation before. I'm going to let, everybody else that hasn't been in this situation before mess it up yeah so if you think about the masters in 2019 that that tiger won on sunday he made one birdie he made one That's birdie crazy. on sunday and aimed there's a great picture that i sent to brooks because brooks rinsed it in the water made double frankie molinari rinsed it in the water made yeah. double tony finau rinsed it in the, i mean everybody pulled yeah. it, they all kind of hit it in the water and there was this great picture right behind tiger you know, the pins over on the right-hand side where it always is, and he's starting the golf ball left of the green and cutting it back into the middle because he's hit that shot so many times. He's not overawed. He's not freaked out by that situation, and Brooks couldn't handle it at that time. You know, the wind came up, but still, you got to execute. So I think what you said there is really important that someone on your team said, hey, just put yourself in contention. And then I also read that, after you missed those four cuts, your caddy Cole said, hey, let's just go out and have fun on the golf course. And I have talked to a lot of players and when they do struggle, they talk about that conflict on the golf course where it's not fun. Yeah. And when you're a junior golfer, it's a blast. You can't wait to get to the golf course, right? You can't wait to play. College golf is fun. How do you, what is that feeling like when you're on the course and it's, and it's not fun? What are you feeling as a player and as a person?
2: I think just very tight overall. I feel like I'm not free to play golf the way I want to. Trying it,
1: not to miss it as opposed to trying, trying to.
2: Yeah, just kind of steering defense it. defense golf. It's not fun. I'm not having a good time. It's just I'm seeing a shot but it's not doing that. It's not starting online. And I think just for me, I play my best golf when I have fun first and then it turns out well. Mm-hmm. You can't rely on okay, I'm going to have fun if I'm playing well because right. that tends to not work. And that's so, a moving target. Yeah. So, I mean, I just try, have fun the best way I can, just very relaxed and seeing shots. And I remember saying this when I won Annika a couple weeks ago, that it was just really fun to be out there. It was fun to even just small things like read the break and like have that putt go in the way you see it, little stuff like that, seeing shots, creating shots. And that's my version of fun. I know it's very like golf nerdy, but
1: that's just how it works. And, uh... You won kind of the last tournament of the year on the was on the regular, on, on the regular on the regular system, schedule, yeah. um, and I thought Texas Roadhouse. I mean, talk me through <laughs> it. I mean, if your agent doesn't have a Texas Roadhouse logo on your sleeve. <laughs> I mean, you said on Saturday night, you played You played good on Saturday and they asked you, you said, well, went to Texas Roadhouse for steak the night before. Yeah. Where did that come from?
2: Oh, I have this ongoing theory that if I eat steak the <laughs> night before around, I just play really well. I love that. And it it's shown true quite a bit. I did go to Texas Roadhouse again that Saturday night and then ended up winning the next day. I mean, so it's science, right? I mean, At this yeah. point-
1: that's those are data points that you can kind of yeah. touch and feel.
2: Yeah, definitely. Texas Roadhouse got a lot of PR from that. Though.
1: Let's go back to the beginning. You started playing golf when you were seven. Do you remember what you liked about golf growing up? What was it that took you to golf? Did someone else take you to golf? I'm always interested in players' kind of journeys.
2: Yeah. So my older brother started golf with my dad, and my we just bring me just to watch and sit. And I think I was trying to be funny, imitating my brother's golf swing. Mom gave me a club, and then now I'm better than him, and I'm playing professionally. Yeah, so that's how it started. My brother ended up playing D1 golf at UC Riverside, and then I went to UCLA. And then, yeah, and then had a good college career.
1: What kind of junior golfer were you?
2: I don't... My mom says I was really good, but I don't think I was that great. I think just... I felt like people were winning left and right in junior golf and I just didn't have that. And then once I went to UCLA, I learned a lot from my teammates, from my coaches. And I think that's when I really fell in love with golf. I think learning how to win, learning how to even like take notes on a yardage book, like what I need to write down during practice rounds, just having fun and then not being too hard on yourself. It was just like, hey, I'm with a bunch of my best friends, let's go play and have a good time.
0: So how do you
1: crack the code from junior golf where you're not a prolific winner to going and, and playing at UCLA, first team All-American? I mean, you win eight times in, were you there for four years? I mean, you, three and a half, yeah. You win the eight times in three and a half years. I mean, that's 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 a lot of golf. And that is a, again, that is, maybe you don't realize it, but that is not normal, right? That is not a normal resume where people are just like, yeah, I mean, I've got close to double digit wins in college. The people that do that are superstars, right? And so how? What did you learn in college that maybe you didn't know in junior golf?
2: Biggest thing for me in college was learning how to read the break. When I first got to UCLA, my assistant coach Alicia taught me how to read aim point. Aim point, yep. So from there on, I just knew how to read greens. I was kind of playing around, figuring out, calibrating my fingers and how far away I need to put my arm and... That just made it easy for me. I think I had problems reading the green when I was a junior golfer. Then I came to UCLA and learned how to do that. And then also just looking up to my older teammates. I ha- I followed Bronte Law. I was pretty close mm-hmm. with her. And just listening to and seeing what she would write down on her yardage book. She said, write down everything you see out there, things that you might need, things you don't want to be at, where's a good place to miss it, and just little things like that. And I think in my mind, I figured out How to play the most simple golf. Okay, I know this is going to be kind of difficult to understand, I think, but my assistant coach made pin locations with two zero lines. There's a green one for uphill, a red one for downhill. And I would hit to those lines to have a straight putt. And it would just make my life easier. Okay, it's just downhill.
1: I mean, that's genius. Straight putt. (laughs) hit it to the straight putt down the slope or hit it to the straight putt up the slope. Those You better be a good ball striker to do that. But <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> I mean, I would try to do that. If not, then we'll figure it out from there. But I remember actively trying to do that. And I think that helped me a lot, to be honest. And then you get out here and no more greens book, no more this. And I'm like, oh shoot, I hope I'm still good at golf and can make birdies that way. But yeah, I think that was a big, just learning how to see the green contour Knowing where the zero lines are, and then the ninety degrees mm-hmm. is when it breaks the most. Mm-hmm. So just little stuff like that, and just understanding putting.
1: One of the things I think that AimPoint helps players with because green reading, like you said, you either you either have that skill or you don't. And I think one of the great things about AimPoint is it has helped. You know, I look at the work that that. DJ and his brother AJ did on that run where DJ won the Masters and won the FedEx. AJ started doing Aim Point and started reading all the putts for DJ, and and it really, really did help. But I think one of the things that Aim Point helps professionals do is you go through the process, you go through the read, and if you miss it, you can almost let it go the fact that you missed it because you went through a process that you chose. And so you you either have to let yourself off the hook immediately and go, okay, it just didn't go in because I thought it was going to do this and I read it to do this and it didn't. And you can then go, okay, I'm going to try and do that on the next hole. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Because I
1: think if you're constantly in and out of it and you don't know what's going on, I think sticking with that process can somewhat help you let go of a failure.
2: Absolutely. I 100% stand by my system. I think- I've done it for years. I know it works. So when I miss a putt, I'm not too bent up about it. Mm-hmm. I know that, okay, like there's only two things that can happen. You either make the putt or you miss it. It's mm-hmm. not that deep. And I th- I was telling my caddy today, I was like, that's my mindset with putting. I think that's why it helps so much because, hey, I did what I needed to do. I did my system. If it works, then it works. And if it doesn't, then you move on and you try again.
1: If you were a player on the LPJ and got paired with you for the first time, what do you think you would think about your game and the way that you play? What would you, if you had to describe your game, what What do you do well? What are the attributes that you have? What are some of the idiosyncrasies that you have as a player?
2: I think my strength is definitely putting. I think... If I'm hitting it, driving it pretty well, and I get it on the green, I have a pretty good chance of making that birdie. I don't know why I have that feeling, but if I'm on a putting surface, I have a good feeling it's getting in. So I think just pretty simple, just going driver
1: to Do you like fairway. to work the golf ball? Do you like to hit it one direction? Yeah,
2: I just like a push draw. If it's not a push draw, it's probably a miss, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I'm very just simple. I like to see that right to left. I love playing with... Players that can bring it right to left. Like yeah. I love playing with Charlie. Yeah. I love playing with Lynn Grant. I just think that. You ever vis- played with
1: Rory McIlroy? No. You'll really think, like that. Yeah,
2: I think I'll you, love that. You talk yeah. <laughs> about
1: the absolute blueprint yeah. for a high bomb nuke draw yes. with a driver. Have you ever seen it up close? No. I mean, if you ever, I mean, if you ever get a chance to watch Rory yeah. McIlroy hit golf balls up close. By the time he gets to the driver, when he starts hitting drivers, you're just going to be standing there, just your mouth is just (laughs) going to be open because it just, the way he drives the golf ball and he's never off balance. He hits these, you know, he carries it 330 in the air. They're high bomb nuke draws, right? He never looked. It's like he, I keep saying this, it's like he's a gymnast. He sticks the landing. Yeah. And it just looks so So natural. Yeah. It looks normal. Just nothing. (laughs) Um, what would your caddy, Cole, say you are like to work for?
2: I don't know. And Definitely. what do
1: you need and want from a caddy? That's a good question. Um, I Because think... you've said in college you like structure, you like someone to tell you what to do. So are you a player that wants the caddy to give you the yardage and go, it's a seven iron. And you go, cool. It's a seven iron. Is there a collaboration? Do you want the back and forth or what kind of info and what interaction do you like?
2: I kind of like to just be on autopilot. He'll tell me the number. I say, oh, is it a soft six? He'll be like, yeah, just let's say 170 stock draw. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be like, okay, yeah, just right at the pin, maybe four yards or we'll find a specific target. I'm very specific target oriented. It can't just be like right center of the fairway. It
1: has to be something. So are you picking out things on the horizon, trees, yeah. grandstands, antennas, as to where you're Absolutely. trying to start it?
2: Yeah, it could be palm trees. He'll, well, we'll do landing points because I have leeway of where I want to start my ball. Mm-hmm. So he'll tell me, okay, we want to land on the Grant Thornton logo or something okay, else like yeah, that. So and something so, behind the yeah. green
1: that is a visual for you. So you can look at the flag and say, okay, I see the logo five yards right. Okay. That's where I'm going to try and land. Yeah.
2: And then he could say, Oh, it's a little off the left. So you want to land on the Grant Thornton logo. So maybe start a little left of that so that it could help with pushing the ball off the face Mm -hmm. and little stuff like that. I think I kind of just try and go wherever he tells me to go. Unless I really need to voice my opinion. I'm like, Hey, I really don't think it's an eight here. I think it's seven. Then we'll kind of just go from there. It's,
1: but much more of a soldier mentality. I know what to do, just give me the information, tell me where we're going and I'll go.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of just take or <laughs> not take orders like that, but like you know, we're but pretty listen. good. It, it just helps me because then I can just focus on hitting that shot instead of, okay, like me g- going to go get that yardage and double checking if he's right, I know he's right. Mm. So and then we don't have to go, like there's no lack of confidence
0: there. terms and conditions apply.
1: One of the generalizations that I notice between the LPGA and the PGA Tour is at times when I'm out on the LPGA or I'm watching, it seems like the interaction between the player and the caddy, there can be a lot of information going back and forth. And yes, there are players on the PGA Tour that do that guys, you know, Michael Greller and Jordan Spieth. I mean, they're, they're writing a novel sometimes on the shots, but a lot of the interaction between the guys and their caddies is, it's not as much information. And and I think at times, it seems to me that at times the LPGA, the players maybe can get overloaded with too much information. So you're not reacting as an athlete. You're not reacting as a player. You're almost, you've taken on so much information that you're like, oh gosh, it's a lot to hit a yeah. seven iron from a buck 50.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty particular. I want to know how far it is, how far it's playing with the wind. So I'll know like where the wind's coming from, how much it's affecting the ball. And then I'll want to know how far is it based on like, how far is it to the front or how far is it to the back? If it's like closer to one side or the other or how much room I have. But once I kind of, once I hear the number, I kind of know what I'm hitting.
1: Yeah. Are you a big practicer? What's your practice routine like? What are off weeks like for you? What are tournament weeks like there are, it runs the gamut, right? Yeah. There are people that spend four, five, six hours on the range. They they want to be there. They need to be there. Their identity is in practicing. And then there are other players that are like, you know, I'm not going to really practice much. I'm just... If you had a choice between practicing and playing, which one are you choosing?
2: Playing every single day. No, just kidding. I love playing. Practice. I'm not much of a practicer. I I will maybe two two three times a week during my off weeks, but I love playing. I love playing with friends, anyone that's back home, just people from my club. And yeah, I'm much more of a player. Even out here, I don't really go and find something on the range post-round. I think I was telling another girl in my group today, the four wins I've had, I've never went to the range to practice afterwards. I care more about just managing my body and how my body feels and just maintaining rest and going that is very
1: much the dustin johnson the dj model dj yeah he doesn't hit a lot of golf balls after the round yeah regardless of whether he plays well and even if he plays poorly that's what i you know i've said this a million times on the pod but there are loads of times where i'm standing and scoring he you know dj with all of his firepower all the par fives he can reach he'll make a double on one of them and he'll come in and he'll shoot, you know, one, two over and his brother will be shaking his head and I'll say, Hey, do you want to go hit balls? And he'll go, nah, I didn't really hit that bad today. And AJ's sitting there looking at me going, bro, it was awful. But he just, he's like, I'll figure it out tomorrow. I, I know what I need to do. I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Brooks. And I've said this a lot too. Brooks likes to go to the range, whether he shot 63 or whether he shot 75, Yeah. the range. And, and half the time he just wants to go there and kind of talk download and go through the round. Yeah. He, he needs that. Yeah. He needs that kind of downtime to kind of go, okay. And and we know now to do that. But yeah. one of the, and, and, and I've said this before as well, but I think it's something it's important for people to hear. Like yourself, we were at the tour championship once. Brooks had played pretty good. We get, He hit a couple bad drives. He said, let's get the launch monitor out. We got the launch monitor out. And then we're starting to dissect everything. And Ricky said, hey, can we go home? You shot 66 today and you're leading by whatever. Yeah. We can find stuff to work on if you want to work on it, but it's working pretty good. Let's go home and let's get off the range.
2: Yeah, that's the opposite of me. I think I'm down more of DJ's path. Just if I play good, I'm not practicing. If I play bad, I need to forget my swing and then figure it out the next day. I don't know why... I got into that mindset but i think it just helps me
1: because i'm not going to find anything on the range i i truly think are you warming up on the range or you is the range warm up in a tournament tournament day thursday friday saturday sunday how important is your warm-up to you how important is it to your psyche as to what you've seen in the warm-up going to the course
2: Usually, if I have a bad warm up, that's a good sign. I'll go play like the best golf I've ever played. For some reason, it tends to be like that all the time. So I think I don't take into heart a bad warm up too much because somehow it just turns out well. And then, yeah, I think it's just very simple for me.
1: <laughs> so, how going into 2024, do you manage the expectations that you have? Do you manage the expectations that your team has? And then obviously managing the expectations that the wider golf world has. I mean, next year, 2024, you you play good next year and, don't, and win once and don't win a major and don't win four times. It's easy to see that, as a down year based off of the year that you've had yeah and we saw this i think you know jordan spieth when he came out on tour jordan had a career year won two yeah. majors and he, he had a career year in one year yeah and it's hard to sustain that what are you looking to do next year and how are you trying to in your own head say okay how am i going to manage yeah. my
2: expectations yeah so during the off season i think my team will kind of reevaluate what needs to be better better i know there's a lot in my game that can be better for some reason i just feel like this is not the limit like i feel like i can be so much better short game wise ball striking off the tee everything and so i think usually during off season, i write down a series of my goals and see- put it away and see by the end of the year see if i've achieved it all so i haven't looked at my goals that I wrote down for this past year. Were they
1: to win two majors?
2: I don't <laughs> In remember. <a> year. <laughs> so I don't remember. I Were did. they to
1: win four times? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think after this event, I'll fi- I'll relook at it and see if I did touch all of them. But I think I'll be pretty close to what I wrote down. So I'm excited to just sit down, think about what I want to do next year, and see if I achieve it again.
1: Lastly, um, I was looking. You turned pro in 19. Um, you played nine events. You made one cut. You made three thousand eight hundred and thirty dollars. This year, you won four times, two majors, and you made three point five million dollars. In 19, when you were at that stage of missing, you know, basically all the cuts, we're not that far removed from that. I mean, if someone had told you, hey, I know it's tough right now, but in 2023, you're going to win four times, win two majors, be Rolex player of the year. Um, I heard from someone on your team that when you were a junior golfer, you always wore a white Rolex hat, and now you are the Rolex player of the year. I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah,
2: to come full circle like this is kind of crazy. I think um, 2019 Lilia would never have thought that I'd be in this position. I think I've just had a phenomenal year and I haven't had much time to think about it. Definitely during the off season. I will, I think just played so many tournaments in between and it's been a busy season, but I'm very grateful to be here. I'm actually super grateful that the 2019 season happened because I learned so
1: much failure. It. You yeah.
2: Gotta fail. That's the best way to learn. And People are,
1: I think junior golfers, and I, and I think, you know, this now junior golfers are so afraid to fail even in college, if you're not winning, it's easy to go, okay, I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm good. Good. But the failure that you went through in 19 to where you, you reach your dream, you get on the LPGA tour for the first time, and then you just, you don't, you don't have it. You don't play good. It's easy to let that affect you. But I think what I'm hearing you say is without that, this year doesn't happen.
2: Exactly. If I didn't hit rock bottom, I wouldn't be able to step back and see what I needed to change in order to be here. And then I slowly worked my way, learned new things, took things from other people that I saw, and then also tried to create a full team around me to help me with everything. And then that allowed me to just focus on golf. There's nothing I needed to add this year. I just needed to play golf. And that's what happened.
1: Well, if you haven't, you said you hadn't thought about it. it this is a hell of a year, and uh, you've got to be incredibly proud of yourself. And I think everybody is excited to see what you do in the future. My advice: stay on the stake. Stay on <laughs> the stake. Okay.
2: Definitely. Stake wins. <laughs> yeah, stake wins. Thank you so much for having. Me. Have a good off season. Yeah. Thank you.
1: That was the world number one Vu. What a cool story. And like I said at the beginning, a huge, huge year, a breakout year, and a year that um, I think could have gotten a little bit more um, following and and had people talking about it because it is one of the breakout, standout career years that anyone's had. We haven't seen someone step up and win two majors. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Uh, So really, really impressed with her as a player. Excited to see what... She does in 2024, and I am definitely a fan. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, 2024, the pod is going to be bringing in some good guests, excited to um, bring some new stuff, and just try and, and help everybody get better with their golf and enjoy their golf more. Son of a Butch comes to you every Wednesday. We will see you next week.